0: Welcome to Raising Standards with Rhiannon Evans and Matt Smith, a true Roman history podcast for true Romans. Hail Caesar. Welcome to Raising Standards, an occasional rewatch podcast in which we take a fond look at HBO's Rome. I'm Rhiannon Evans.
1: And I'm Matt Smith. This is season two, episode six, Philippi. It was written by Johan Mahoney and directed by Roger Young. In this episode, the triumvirate is formed I guess, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Verinus and Polo get their hands very dirty, Cicero pays the ultimate price for his rhetoric, and Brutus and Cassius make the final stand of the Roman Republic with an actual effing battle scene. <laughs> <laughs> Do
0: you think they just spent the rest of the budget then because it was close to all over?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think they were saving it. I think they were definitely saving it for this point because this is the first proper battle. That we get in the span of the show. There was yeah, a-
0: we've sort of been on the edges of a battle that's finished or something like that before, haven't we?
1: Yeah, and there's a few little bits of skirmishes and what have you involving Varinus and Pullo very early in the days. Maybe episode one when they flashed back to the Gallic Wars or started in the Gallic Wars or something like that.
0: I don't know. It was so long ago. I think it's taken us longer to get through this series than the Gallic Wars (laughs) took.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Entire dynasties have risen and fallen in the span of recording this podcast.
0: Well, it's definitely true in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. So what did you think of of this episode? What did you think of Philippi, uh, mostly concerned with Prescription is this episode, I think. Mm. Uh, a bit of battling towards yeah. the end.
0: I'd like to like this series more, but I I'm, I'm think I'm liking it less as it goes on. Yeah. And I think that that can probably p- be put down to what I imagine is having to compress a lot yeah. into intending to do, what, five series and it had to finish at the end of the second one. There's a lot to get through. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not working so well for me. I don't feel as connected to the characters anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think part of it is th- this is a bit more, if we move away from it a bit, the relentless, and this will carry on to the next episode, Verena Sampolo in gangland. I just, I don't know. It's like... They're completely divorced from the action now, the historical action.
1: Well, not in this episode. They're front and centre of the prescriptions.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, their little mafioso gang is carrying out the prescriptions, I guess. Mm. But apart from that, it's becoming a bit so operish for me.
1: Mm. Okay, well, uh, look forward to that trend continuing for the for the next few episodes. <laughs> what we're at the point here, the Battle of Philippi and the end of the Roman Republic was originally intended to be the end of season two. Right. So season two would have gotten up to this point with a bit more breathing room. So I guess
0: the, um, I'm not going to say the high point, the final point, the kind of what we'd be leading towards of the series would be the death of Brutus. This season, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I feel like he was... In the first series, but even more at the beginning of this series, he was kind of the tragic hero. Mm -hmm. All right. So, you know, the one who'd been involved in the killing of his mentor, effectively, and he seemed tormented by that. I really like that. I like that presentation of Brutus. But it feels like even though, you know, he's going to be really significant in this episode and this will lead to his death... It's all been a bit cursory in the last episode or so, and and it does make sense that we were meant to have the whole expanse of a series to deal with mm.
1: that. Yeah, yeah. The last few episodes have been very much concerned with the dynamics in Rome, particularly between Mark Antony and Octavian. Yeah, yeah. Brutus and Cassius did get uh, sidelined a fair bit. You must
0: expect to be gloomy. Now, look up, Cassius. Look around. Is it not wonderful? I see only 100,000 mouths to feed. You have no poetry in you, Cassius. We ride with these men to save the Republic. Yeah, well, sorry to be prosaic, but before we do any saving of Republics, we have Octavian to defeat. Indeed.
1: So this episode is called Philippi, which is the final battle between the forces of the Republicans, so that's Cassius and Brutus, against the united front of Octavian and Mark Antony. And it took place in Philippi. So uh, did you want to give us some historical context to begin? That all kind of lined up well, didn't it, those details?
0: Yeah, yeah. And as far as it went, Brutus and Cassius have gone east to raise armies, Mm. and they've been successful in that. And I guess at some point along the way, they're potentially thinking of raising an army to go back to Italy, but they don't get to do that because for want of a better word, the Caesarians, because that's all that connects them is their connection to Julius Caesar and the kind of anti-Senate, what is left after the Civil War. They get together and pursue them to mm. northern Greece. So they choose that battleground ineffectively.
1: Yeah, and that all seems to stack up with what they presented in the episode. We see Antony Octavian and Lepidus finally coming to terms at the start of this episode they talk about how they're going to defeat Brutus and Cassius and the United Front that they're going to present. And this, I said in my intro that this is the formation, as we see, of the Second triumvirate, which is a, an alliance between those three and how they're going to manage Rome and pretty much ultimately divvy up the empire between them. But it doesn't seem to dwell really on that aspect. They move straight to prescriptions, which is drawing up a list of people that we want to kill. Because they're both political enemies and we need to pay our troops Mm -hmm. and we can confiscate their assets.
0: Which is exactly what the proscriptions were about. And there's precedent for it. There have been proscriptions before, but these were particularly brutal and extensive. That's kind of the point of the triumvirate in this episode, isn't it? That I guess we don't get a sense of them having to come together and put aside their. Differences. So I don't recall that. And no. also, we don't have much background on Lepidus, do we? He sort of appeared, kind of from nowhere.
1: Yeah. So he swanned in in the previous episode, mm. and uh, very quickly was subservient to Antony. Uh, doesn't seem to be entirely an equal in the triumvirate. Didn't seem to be that equal in the history books, though, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think part of that is the the benefit of hindsight, that Mm. he will be the third wheel. Mm. You know, it is an uneasy partnership, which we get that sense from the fact that they depict Antony and Octavian as really locked horns despite mm. having to try and put that aside and act together to the extent that we've seen Antony beating Octavian up in this series, which we don't have historical evidence for, but that kind of shows conflict very yeah. clearly. Yeah. And of course, the the conflict in the series is partly fed by Antony's affair with Atia, which again is something the series does, but history doesn't. So we've got those different motives there. But there, it was an uneasy alliance and Lepidus, who's sort of on Octavian's side, at the beginning, there's sort of moves to exclude him or, you know, you're not quite sure whose side he'll end up on, because I think it seems fairly clear that it's going to be Antony and Octavian against each other. Mm. But Lepidus could be important in who who he chooses, where he chooses to go. Yeah, Yeah. But with hindsight, we know that Even though they weren't firm friends, Anthony and Octavian kind of cut him out. That's why he's a a bit of a nothing character who we haven't really met before. They haven't felt the need to bring him in as a character earlier in the series.
1: I think the show uses him as much as they needed to. And speaking of Artia, Artia is in this scene uh, while they're talking about the prescriptions and how they will go about. So uh, what did you think about the agreements that, that they make? in this scene and how they're describing it and also Artie's contribution to it.
0: I have a name while you're at it. Not Sevilla. We cannot kill women. Not Sevilla. Rufus Tranquillus. Who? Isn't he father to Octavia's friend Jocasta? Why do you want him dead? I don't like the girl. She's bad influence. This is not a game, Mother. Her father is immensely rich. True. Stone quarries. Woe unto Rufus Tranquillus, then. So some of this is based on the historical sources we have in Diocassius and Appian. The fact that they kind of add to each other's lists and say, well, if you're going to have that person, I want this one. Mm. The fact that Cicero is going to be right in the center from Antony's point of view. No surprise there.
1: First person Antony brings up is Cicero. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There was absolute hatred between the two of them, which we have seen in the series, and that's true. The part that is not reflected here is that Octavian wasn't initially happy with putting Cicero on the list, Mm. and Octavian doesn't seem bothered about it. No, very quickly went along with that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're depicting Octavian as even more ruthless than we might get from our sources, which Mm. is interesting. Okay. Uh, There's something about the, I mean, he's not the new actor anymore, but I still think of him as the second version of Octavian. Yes, Simon Uh, Wood. Yeah. He can certainly do a cold look in his eye, can't he?
1: He does that very well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's a very frosty character, the way he's played now. And so you can believe that he would just happily cut people off who might have, I don't know if we can say Cicero's fostered him exactly. Cicero wanted to make use of him, but Cicero has chosen to be Antony's enemy, not Octavian's. Mm. But Octavian's quite happy to cut him off here.
1: I think if you're staring closer to the history books, Octavian and Cicero had a closer relationship than what's being portrayed on the screen.
0: Well, certainly in Cicero's letters, he would okay, like to yeah, make sure, out that there sure. is one. <laughs> when
1: I say history books, <laughs> I mean, dear Atticus.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, nobody is acting just out of the goodness of their heart here. Mm. Cicero wants to play Octavian. He wa- I guess he wants to mentor him so he doesn't become like Caesar. He doesn't become a king. He doesn't. Become a tyrant, and because I guess because Octavian's young and he is malleable then he sees that as a potential for that and that kind of works with the republican system as well because you're meant to go through this what they call the tirocinium mm. which is the the kind of training especially training in rhetoric so he could see himself as the you know the elder statesman character who mentors octavian through this to become an important consular player but that's not going to happen because cicero won't be around long enough
1: yeah yeah well uh, it's to the extent where Octavian actually says, I want Varina and Pullo to deal with Cicero personally, mm. you know. So either he wants it done quickly or he wants it done thoroughly, or maybe both.
0: That is a way in which... Could that be Paul- seen
1: as mercy? Because he knows oh. that Pullo's just going to do a quick, clean job.
0: You could read that between the lines. I mean, we're just talking about the series here, yeah. so not about any of the, the history because it... Wasn't Polo. I think from what we've seen of Octavian and Polo's interaction, he knows that Polo is, you know, he's not going to be dissuaded. Mm. He's also pretty ruthless. Yeah. He's a violent man. That's, that's kind is. of the core of, of Polo.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I guess in this scene, Atia gets in on the action. It's really ruthless, putting Jocasta's father on the prescription list. Now, Jocasta is Octavia's friend. Putting her father on yeah. that list simply because she thinks Jocasta is a bad influence mm. on her daughter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've used the word ruthless a lot, and yeah, it does yeah. apply to Artia here as well. And, <laughs> of course, everything we say about Artia, it's invented because Artia was no longer alive. Mm-hmm. So I think what they're grabbing from the, the ancient historians here is some of the information about Fulvia, Mark Antony's wife, who was depicted by our very anti-Fulvia sources, kind of much more pro-Octavian. Yeah. They're, they're later. They've kind of swallowed the Augustan, i.e. Octavianic line
1: yeah.
0: of who was to blame for the prescriptions, and Fulvia gets it in the neck. She's yeah. easy to blame. She's, she's dead not long after this. And she is often depicted as kind of reveling in this and adding her enemies to the list. Which I'll- is
1: exactly what Artia does in this point. Not even her enemy.
0: Yeah, just somebody who makes things a bit awkward for her status-wise, she thinks. Mm. It's nasty, mm. nasty. Yes.
1: So they start to go their separate ways. Uh, Atius says to Antony, you can bring me Brutus's head as a wedding present which is, uh, again, ruthless, but the coziest that I've ever seen. <laughs> Mark Antony and Atia. Yeah,
0: yeah. Again, <laughs> cozy's a good word, isn't it? <laughs> but, of course... So, they're, so, they're talking about their wedding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ex- Maybe the head of Brutus. But, yeah. Except Antony never really commits to that, does he? He's very oh. much depicted as, oh, yeah, saying what will keep Artia happy. They're going down that line. She has dreams of a wedding and he's just... I don't think he cares.
1: yeah. I go back and forth on those two. <laughs> yeah. Having said that, the head of Brutus is a. That could have more to do with Sevilia, actually.
0: I'm sure it does, because mm. she doesn't seem to have any personal enmity with uh, Brutus. But I think Fulvia is relevant here again because she gets depicted as wanting Cicero's head. Mm. So, different head, <laughs> different woman, <laughs> but that kind of bloodlust. Yeah. And then sticking her hairpins in it when it's given to her.
1: Which is what is said that she did with Cicero's head. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. They're taking that narrative and transferring it to another brutal woman. Each of you's been given a list. On it are ten of the richest men in Rome. You've been given licence to kill them and then to take of theirs what you and your men can carry. Licence by who? You. Order of Octavian Caesar.
1: (laughs) We now go to the the Aventine where Varinus is handing out the lists of those prescribed. Uh, So I guess in the history books these were posted publicly for all to see and to participate in.
0: The newsreader isn't in this episode, is he?
1: Ah, he is not. He's not. That w- he he that wasn't would've... in the previous episode.
0: Yeah. Well, I, that, I, when I watched the next episode, mm. I was saying, I hope the newsreader's back because I'm really missing him. And I couldn't remember whether it was one or two episodes he was missing from. And mm. It's two, you confirm. Yeah. This would have been an ideal venue for him to, to yes. read out a list, Actually, I would Actually You're think. right.
1: You're right. Yes. Yes. Um, the following are prescribed. Yes.
0: And we decided to do it a different way.
1: And uh, as he's reading out the list, you see various people running off from the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well.
0: (laughs) You had a smile on your face. Like, I thought you were going to tell me you had some inside knowledge. Like, he wasn't available for these two episodes.
1: No, no, but I I did notice that because you said in the previous episode, no newsreader. So I was looking out for him. Um, No, not in this episode. hmm. Uh, I guess it would have given this proceeding a very different tone Mm. because he's just there for exposition, Mm. whereas in this case, you've got Varinus as well, not just saying the license is to kill them and take what you and your men can carry, but also we should use this blood money as largesse Mm -hmm. to feed the people of the Aventine and show how great it is to Mm. have us criminals pushing them around.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to get on board with anybody. Mm. Uh, well, maybe in the whole series. But Varinus has just got worse and worse, hasn't he? Because even his benefactions, well, they come from a terrible place. The mm. money is being got by murder. And it also comes from wanting to maintain his position of power. I mean, in microcosm, that is what goes on when there are handouts of bread to the masses. Yeah. it's It's a way of ensuring that people in the Republic will vote for a particular praetor or whatever or will support an emperor who's in power in the later period. Yeah. So yeah. it is very much a quid pro quo. It is a, yeah, I can buy support by giving you food.
1: Yeah. We're calling this a crime family, but they do actually have legitimacy, don't they? So they would be, if they want to keep the image of being legitimate, feeding the people.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, we've talked before about how the collegia weren't exactly set up as they use them in this series. Yeah. So they're much more aligned with professions. So, you know, there might be particular craft like... Um, well, Mimia's
1: it, got dock workers, for example. Yeah, and control, I get... Control supports in Ostia, that, that sort of thing.
0: To that extent, they do. But, yeah. you know, it, it would be bakers or... Carpenters, or, mm. So they're kind of sometimes people have slightly anachronistically called them an early form of trades union and they're not working for rights. They're just a kind of social and they would have had some political factionalism going on. I suppose they might support a particular person in power. But this would make more sense to me if Varinus was something like a praetor. If he had that sort of role, I mean, they had them in the city whose role it was to keep infrastructure up or to make sure that the people were kind of fed and controlled and water was flowing. And yeah, so I would have gone down that road myself. Mm. But I think they've decided to elide those kind of roles, A, with a collegium and B, with uh, a more modern representation of a mafia type family. So they've built something that's slightly anomalous and weird. Yeah. It does reflect some things that were happening in antiquity, and it probably also reflects the kind of chaos of this period. Mm. So I can't say it's wrong exactly. It's just twisting things a bit. Yeah. And yeah. with that sort of weird Sopranos overlay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pullo is sent in this episode to specifically deal with Cicero. Uh, Veritas gives him that task. Pullo seems to be a little bit restless in his life in this episode. Mm. Verinus has this one line where he says, Peace is no friend to men like us who thrive on blood and anarchy. And Pullo seems to pay a lot of attention when he says that sentence. He's got no place in a time of peace. Mm. And also, when the soldiers are leaving later on, he looks at them leaving very wistfully. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why doesn't he just join up again?
1: Well, I. Th- I think if it wasn't for his wife, Irene, he probably would have. Mm. Uh, Once it gets to the end of this episode and and she goes, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, that definitely
0: Mm.
1: anchors him. But I think he was inclined to maybe go before then. You know, he was trying to talk it up. Good bit of money, you know.
0: I did think at that point that that was going to get us away into Philippi, that Mm. he would actually be there. That'd be cool. They didn't go down that road.
1: Yeah. I don't know why they didn't do that.
0: Instead, he gets to um, off Cicero.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't know how the timing for that would have
0: been. Maybe he could have done both. I don't know. Cicero <laughs> <laughs> so <reversed>, first, then Philippi. <laughs> mm.
1: So his suggestion, and this was all hilariously morbid, was for everyone to take like a nice day trip mm. to the country and enjoy a picnic and I'll just go for a couple of hours and, you know, mm. dispatch with this respected Roman senator.
0: It's a very weird tone. Yeah. I'm not sure what it was about. Was it some kind of... I don't know, elegy for the Republic, because Cicero dying, I guess, <laughs> is could be seen as the end of the Republic. Mm. Whatever, Whenever you want to date that, one of the dates could be this.
1: I think it was maybe just showing how normalised this kind of thing is mm. and that it's not out of the ordinary, you know, while we're there, we might as well have a nice picnic, you know. This thing that I'm going to do for just a few hours is just, you know, a diversion from mm. what my life is. Mm. I don't know if it speaks worse of Pullo that he's just so casual about all of this, or if it speaks worse for his family for just going along with it all and just going, yeah, nice day in the country,
0: you know? I can't remember. Do they know that he's going to kill Cicero? Well,
1: of course, because, you know, Verenus gives him the task.
0: Yeah, but and, do the family know?
1: Oh, I'm sure Irene knows. You know, as I say, normalised. Mm, okay. Mightn't tell the kids. But then Freak again, you know, out. this is Rome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cicero's reaction, this is the first that he's hearing of the, the reconciliation, the deal that struck between Antony and Octavian, which uh, is kind of a bit inaccurate, mm-hmm. and he takes it with shock. Uh, he's not in Rome at the time, which I, I think he might have been in history. He fled from Rome?
0: Yeah, he had fled. So we've got this information from Appian in Book 4, Chapter 19 and 20, and he'd gone on a boat when he found out that he'd been proscribed. yeah. And couldn't stay long on the boat because he had seasickness. So he went to... He's got villas everywhere. He's very wealthy. A villa near Caeta, So he's not a Tusculum, which I think they say in the series. It's a very different end in general. So he's in a different place. And he is trying to leave. He is trying to flee. And then he tries to flee from Caeta again when he hears that they're approaching.
1: He basically gets caught on the road, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. So Appian tells us, while the searchers were approaching... For of all others, Antony sought for him most eagerly, and the rest did so for Antony's sake. Ravens flew into his chamber and awakened him from sleep by their croaking. I wanted to include that because it seems a bit omenish. And I know you like an omen. (laughs) And they pulled off his bed covering, this is the ravens, until his servants, divining that this was a warning from one of the gods, put him in a litter and again conveyed him toward the sea, going cautiously through a dense thicket. Mm. So he gets caught on the way. He's in his litter. So yeah. he's not at his villa. He's rushing out, uh, trying to escape. But he doesn't succeed and they pull him out of that litter and kill him while he's on the road.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the way that the show shows it is that he's at his villa at the time, which was a really impressive villa. Hmm. It was, was that an actual villa or do you think that was a set? I don't know. I'm wondering if they oh. found a villa somewhere around Italy for filming that. I
0: wasn't thinking about that while I was watching it. Oh, um, I, was, I was
1: looking at it, going, "Oh, that's look, yeah." Really the set nice. is
0: so elaborate, Ciniceta. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised, but I haven't seen any pictures of that. Yeah. So it may be that they mm. they found a, a villa and. Uh, but then again, it was in very good condition. Up. No, you'd ha- you'd mm. have to cover. Yeah. Mm. So you may as well build it, really.
1: And so Pullo and Cicero meet, and Cicero is very uh, resigned to his fate.
0: What is your name,
1: young man? Titus Pullo, sir. Later of the 13th. Are the famous Titus Pullo. I am honoured. Likewise, honoured. Talk about famous. Everyone's heard of Cicero. Yes. I dare say your work today will earn you immortality. How's that? I will be in all the history books. My killer's name, no
0: doubt, will live on also.
1: Ah. It portrays him as being very brave, I think, Mm -hmm. in his final moments as dying for the Republic. He's not running away from his fate. I guess that would be a very different ending to Cicero's story if he did. But it also makes Paulo uh, seem very clinical Mm. in how he's executing this.
0: He's also sort of kind to Cicero. He has to do it. You know, he sort of gives him a moment with T- Tyro. We've never seen Tyro before, I don't think.
1: You said that last episode oh, as well. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs>
0: I just wanted to see more of Tyro.
1: Tyro being his slave. Yeah. yeah,
0: And very important to him and almost certainly his scribe. Mm. So You know, we've got so many writings of Cicero, Tyro would have been involved. I guess it's meant to throw us a bit off kilter. It seemed like a sort of cinematic trope, didn't it? Mm. This This death, which we know was very brutal – And wasn't kind of this calm, I've given way to my fate. He really wanted to escape. Instead, we cast it as I'm resigned to my fate, which I think is taking on some of the themes from other ancient philosophers who were told they had to die. Like Socrates is the famous one, Mm -hmm. just took the hemlock. You know, everybody else is in bits and he's calm at the end. Later than Cicero, Seneca will be ordered to kill himself by Nero and he'll try to emulate Socrates. And of course Cicero wrote philosophical texts. So I think they're casting him as one of these calm resigned to their fate, stoic in the modern sense of it, in the face of av- adversity. yeah and I can't think of examples I'm sorry, but I, I know there are films where this sort of setup, People know that there's an assassin sent to get them, so they just calmly wait for it. Yes. Yeah. They're playing very much on that, and, and deciding not to follow the ancient evidence. It would have been quite dramatic, I think, to have had him killed off in the way that uh, our texts present this to us.
1: No, but he pretty much, you know, invites his ending because yeah. he knows he can't avoid it. It's like Billy in Predator. Uh, he takes. Uh, don't worry. He takes a hit anyway. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you found a filmic parallel for us. It wasn't the one I was expecting.
1: know, Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't think I've seen Predator, so that's why I'm being a bit hopeless on it, but I'm sure you're um, right.
1: He's Billy's slightly philosophical as well, if you mm. want to look at it that way. Uh, so Cicero does take the time to write a letter to Brutus and Cassius, I'm assuming to warn them, because they're taken... By surprise that mm. Octavian and Anthony are working together. And
0: they don't get the letter. No,
1: no. The letter becomes a hat. He probably as well takes a time for one final letter to Atticus. And off that goes. And I'm sure that that reached its destination. Pullo is all but guided in and handed the sword. Yeah. He's handed some fruit. He gets to pick some peaches.
0: Yeah. Which is part of that whole pastoral picnic element of <laughs> yes. it, isn't it? That he takes the peaches from the man he's just murdered and takes them back to the family outing. mm but it is interesting that Cicero says my killer's name will live on also because Polo isn't the name that lives on for that reason.
1: We know the name of his killers, though.
0: We do. So there was Herennius, who was a centurion, and Popilius, who was a tribune. And they were both, according to Dio Cassius, book 47, chapter 11. Dio tells us that he was proud of his role Papilius, the military tribune, who had been sent to kill the man who had once defended him in court, in gratitude there, Mm. set up a statue of himself wearing a wreath sitting beside the severed head of Cicero.
1: How, How can you be so proud of yourself for doing that?
0: just the end of that sentence, Dio says, a gesture that so pleased Antony that he added a bonus to his award. Mm. How quickly can you set up a statue with a severed head beside <laughs> it? Oh, <laughs>
1: uh, well. <laughs> Have you
0: got them just ready. You know, there are uh, You got them just ready where you slap the face on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a pick-a-brick, sure. <laughs>
0: mm. So not quite how it happened, but an interesting different version.
1: Mm. After Pullo returns to... Uh, his family at the picnic with his uh, peaches, and we see the fate of Cicero's final letter, which would have been pretty cool to read if we ever got that at some point. You know, f- find it still folded up in a hat in the corner of an excavation somewhere. Paper um, doesn't survive yeah, like that. No. <laughs> we see, and I believe it's Paulo nailing Cicero's hands to the doors of the Senate.
0: Yeah, it's in the wrong place. Yeah. So (laughs) it should be on the speaker's platform, Mm. Rostra, which is what Antony wants because that's where Cicero had made many of his speeches to the people. Um, And it's the right hand in particular, the writing hand, although he had scribes. So going back to Dio again, 47, chapter 8, when, however, the head of Cicero also was brought to them One day he had been overtaken and slain in flight, Mm. lest we forget that it's not how it's portrayed here. Antony added many bitter reproaches against it and then ordered it to be exposed on the rostra more prominently than the rest, in order that it might be seen in the very place where Cicero had so often been heard declaiming against him, together with his right hand, just as it had been cut off. So it's the head and the right hand that's actually exposed. Yeah, It's really brutal and nasty either way.
1: Yeah, the episode shows it with that brutality. Mm. Surprisingly, though, we see very little else of the prescriptions. Yeah. And it would have been good to put the forum set to use and actually, you know, I'm not after blood you,
0: loss. You, you do want more blood, don't you? You I'm, want more I'm bodies not. hanging around.
1: I wanted the chaos yeah. that it caused. I think that that would have been good just to show how much Rome is kind of spiralling out of control at this point.
0: I guess we get a bit of that with Jocasta.
1: And that's all that we get.
0: Before we move on, can I ask you if you have any theories as to why they don't want to show the head of Cicero? Is that a step too far or is it just hard even now? When you see severed heads on TV series, they never look real, do they? I mean, obviously it's not the (laughs) person's severed head, so they have to build one. That's a good
1: question. Way back when, we saw Pompey's head.
0: Ah, yes. And I remember
1: that after my interview with Ken because he <laughs> he said he got paid for that episode just because his head was in it. So we have seen severed heads before, and I, d- I don't even think that that's the only one that we've seen. Maybe it's trying to spare Pullo from having to take that step mm. himself.
0: Coming off the hands is pretty bad.
1: Yeah, I know, yeah. but it's a bit hard for you to go back to your family picnic with a head. Yeah, I guess so. Hands, you put them in the saddlebag. Maybe not the same one that has the peaches. This is not the answer I was
0: <laughs> expecting. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I honestly don't know. Minor detail, I guess. Yeah. You know?
0: I do sometimes think, and this is going to come up talking about this episode and the next one, whether maybe I'm overreading, whether they're trying to avoid repetition. How could I forget that we'd already had Pompey's head? I hadn't forgotten he was beheaded in mm. Egypt, but uh, I just forgot we'd seen it in that episode. It's hard to think they feared being accused of too much bloodlust.
1: Yeah. So the prescriptions continue in this episode. They seem to escalate. I think it said at the one point that there's been close to a thousand men.
0: Yeah, which is definitely an underestimate, at least shown us that it was thousands. I think yeah. I've seen 4,000 somewhere as an estimate.
1: Uh, including anyone who aided the prescribed, which is, you know, a the thing that happened. that seemed to get out of control in the history books a bit, especially as Octavian and Antony mm. got used to the money line. Mm. And I think in this episode, uh, it's maybe Agrippa who protests at the amount of people who are being added to the prescription list because Anthony comes in with a few more names mm. at one point.
0: But Agrippa is being used very much as a kind of moral conscience, isn't he? Mm. So Mycenas is just sort of, you know, Octavian's other mate. And I think they're playing on the representation of Mycenas as being a loose liver, lacks character, just enjoy yourself. Whereas Agrippa is the military man. And I do think that's part of a TV and, and film tradition of soldiers being kind of upright. Yeah. Which I don't think they're any more upright than, or, or less so than the rest of us. But that is a, it's a trope we often see in films, that they want to do things by the book. Yeah. And Agrippa isn't happy with this unleashing of more and more killing mm. just for the sake of it or just to get more money.
1: I sometimes don't wonder if he's on the wrong team the wrong side in this this show at least, the way that he's shown as very traditional. Yeah. Even in how he's treating his relationship with Octavia, as in he seems to be the conflicted one of the two. Mm. Still happy to go ahead with it. Mm. Very happy as it seems, but, you know, morally he believes he's doing the wrong thing. (laughs)
0: Well, also, he knows that because of the differential in status that there can't be a relationship between them that's recognised. But you you very much get mm -hmm. the sense that he would marry her. Yeah. That's what he wants, ideally, but he knows it can't happen. She's not really realistic about any of it, is she? My father was a nobody. His father was a slave. I have not a drop of good blood in me. So you have risen purely by merit. Surely that is commendable in its way. You sister to Gaius Octavian Caesar. You'll not be married to the commendable son of a nobody. I will marry who I like. No. So he
1: talks about the, the difference of their rank in this episode and, and that tracks, does it? I, I hadn't realised that he was so lowborn.
0: <laughs> Part of our problem is we don't know much about Grippa's background. Yeah, he doesn't come from a family we know about because she is from a patrician family. She's very, very, very high rank, you know, related to the duly... Mm. Even if it's through her mother's line.
1: Mm. It does show them in this episode. I quite liked it. There was a, a blind man essentially running what seemed to be like a pay-by-the-hour hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed very anachronistic, but at the same time, I, I bought it.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, it's possible. It I don't know. Was it kind of... An offshoot of a brothel? Or am I just imagining that? Uh,
1: I think the whole thing about the guy being blind was so that he can't see who's ah, using the hotel.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> You know, I didn't even think about that. Oh, getting back to status. The, yeah. Agrippa actually says, my father was nobody, his father was a slave. Mm. So he's claiming he's the grandchild of a slave. That's pretty unlikely. We don't know. Yeah. They've made that up. But I think that's to exaggerate the difference between them. But look, Agrippa... This is a spoiler and the series isn't gonna go this far, but you know, it's a long time ago this history. Agrippa will end up marrying Octavian's daughter. Mm. So he's not out of the question for marriage into that family. Yes. But that is considered a kind of reward. And you know By the then, time that happens
1: he's a victorious general. Yeah, who, you know, who, yeah well he's <laughs> already
0: had some success at this point, hasn't he? Ah. Nine of success, I suppose. He's gonna get more so. Yeah, I mean he's he's the one who sort of wins at Mutina.
1: Yes, Octavian does give him the credit for that in the show, yeah. Yeah. We get a a short scene with uh, Timon and his brother Levi. They are discussing with a group of Jews uh, lending money to Herod, who wants to pay Rome to recognise his legitimacy, which happened. That tracks, Mm -hmm. yes? It Um, does. Herod has a lot to do in uh, later history, especially around Cleopatra and Egypt.
0: Yeah, and a kind of rivalry with Cleopatra, which I don't think we're going to see.
1: And and a much longer kind of biblical Mm. history as Mm. the years roll on, I guess. But anyway, young Herod (laughs) at this point uh, trying to get his kingdom.
0: Sorry, that just sounds like it's going to be a series.
1: (laughs) Well, not anymore, it's not. So Tyman has been very much brought across to the idea of uh, independence, Jewish independence from the Romans, which his brother seems to be advocating But then they rough up the elders.
0: Because the elders are the ones who want to potentially give money to Herod.
1: Yeah, they see no problem with that, but Mm. rough them up anyway.
0: To redeem the kingdom of Zion. Mm. I have too little knowledge really to comment very much on this, but I wonder if it's there because, you know, there are people who can identify with this group still. Mm. So to recognize that there's a Jewish identity in antiquity as well. But it's sort of... Not quite woven into the series, is it? It's always a bit of an outlier. I mean, the connection is that Timon used to work for Artia.
1: Yes. But if this wasn't in the series at all, then the series wouldn't be lacking from its absence.
0: Yeah. It's not part of the main narrative. Yeah. I think it's good that they're recognizing that there are people of other religions and other ethnicities in Rome who might have their own agendas. But I, they haven't found a way to weave it into the main narrative, which is a bit of a shame. I, I kind of doubt that they're going to, given the speed which <laughs> they have to go through history now.
1: I won't divulge. I'll, I'll let the show surprise you with its ways. Before we go to Philippi, yay, Irene is pregnant. Hooray. Little bit of happiness for Polo. <laughs>
0: He'll wreck it somehow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he will. And then, with a scant 12 minutes to spare in the episode, we are back to uh, Brutus and Cassius.
0: Yeah, this episode is called Philippi. Yeah. You know that I've been missing Brutus. I want more more than this little bit at the end of Brutus. Yeah,
1: I thought it was a lot longer than what it actually was on screen. But, you know, I like paused it when I got to this point. And I've gone, 12 minutes, 12 minutes. We spent more time on the prescriptions in this episode. They were important that, too. But, hmm. Yeah, I know. But I think the biggest chunk of, of things going on was, you know, Octavia and Agrippa mm-hmm. and Paula and Cicero. yeah. Anyway, the whole thing is rushed. But, you know, happy birthday, Cassius. What? Did you, <laughs> we, it was it his was, birthday. It was. It was It was his birthday. Yeah. There we go. That's a nice touch then. Many happy returns. And so say all of us.
0: Evans, I entirely forgot. Today's your birthday, isn't it? Is it? I believe you're right. Happy birthday. It's like there's no cake. Next year, eh? You bake me an extra big one. Don't forget, no cinnamon
1: makes me sneeze. Uh, what did you think of the the Battle of Philippi?
0: Well, we get a lot more of the battle than we've had ever before, as we mentioned. So that was interesting to see. The battle itself inevitably was much more complicated than what they show. Oh, of course. But if yeah. they show what a battle really like, I don't think any of us would have a clue what was going on. Mm. So uh, It
1: seemed like most of the people in the battle didn't have a clue what was going yeah, on. Yeah,
0: there was <laughs> a <laughs> bit of that. I guess, I mean... It's just, oh,
1: oh, 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 I'm going to stab you.
0: <laughs> I don't know what the solution to this is. I think of, say, films I've seen where you get the overview, which I guess you could do with special effects these days, but I don't know how good they'd look, especially, what, 15 years later of there is a right flank and there are cohorts. Mm. You didn't get any sense of that, did you? So you no. didn't get any sense of organisation, which, of course, is what the Romans are very proud of in warfare.
1: We get a testudo.
0: We do get that, yes. So if yes. you want to explain what that is?
1: Uh, that's the, the Tortoise Formation which I, I know from Asterix Comics, <laughs> uh, which is where your men put their shields up on the sides and the men in the middle put their shields up on top. And so it's, it's a tortoise shell kind of thing to protect yeah. yourself. And that's what they do around Brutus or is it Cassius? It might have been Cassius. That's what they do around Cassius, Cassius in this episode. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, because there are arrows coming in. And the
1: arrows still get in as well. But it's still a, a fairly good defense and it's an iconic one of the Romans that they put to use. Yeah. yeah. It's one that we strongly associate with them. Yeah, so.
0: Caesar will talk about them. Any any kind of Roman battle narrative might yeah. well feature them. One thing that was, if we're going to point out what we, I mean, battle is always chaotic despite the organisation that they at least start out with. But Mark Antony and Octavian shouldn't be together. They're actually on different flanks. Yeah, fair enough. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. But, and Octavian hid away during the battle
1: anyway. <laughs> well, I, I did like how they showed Antony, you know, gleefully charging off into battle. Agrippa following him after essentially seeking permission from Octavian to Mm. do that. And Octavian essentially sitting back awkwardly, twiddling his thumbs, going, well, what do I do now? Not, you know, oh, I should be going into battle as well, because that's what the men would expect. Uh, It's Octavian being Octavian.
0: Yeah. He doesn't like
1: getting his hands dirty. He's
0: got this strong sense of self-preservation, hasn't he? And look, there is evidence that certainly when we get to Actium, I won't give away too much about Actium, but he's not very involved there. Mm. So there is this sense of him letting Agrippa do the dirty work in battle.
1: Yeah, I think if anything, uh, he is in the history books more, I don't know if I'd say cowardly, just, you know, absent from the scene of battle than he is in this show, you know. At least he's there on the uh, adjacent to the battlefield.
0: <laughs> and in terms of what happened in the battle, you know, always hard to tell. But Dio Cassius tells us in book 47, chapter 45, Brutus forced Caesar because of his sickness to yield ground. So Caesar there is Octavian. Octavian, yeah. yeah. So he implies that Octavian is a bit more involved, but maybe he means Octavian's flank, Octavian's troops. While Antony vanquished Cassius, who was by no means his equal in warfare. Mm. So Antony, we know he's a, recognized as an experienced general. There were mutual successes and reverses. So it's not as one-sided, I suppose, as it's represented in the show. Mm. The whole camp of Caesar, i.e. Octavian and Antony and everything within it was captured. So that's Brutus's success. Brutus is initially successful. Mm but we'd need more than 12 minutes to show this success and reverses.
1: It would be a, a lot longer battle scene as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which I'm not necessarily advocating for.
1: The impression that I get every time I talk to somebody who's involved in this show is that they just couldn't afford the damn yeah. things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. There are a limit.
1: They did the best they could under the circumstances here.
0: I wanted to see more of Brutus, and I, this is the last time I can harp on about this because he's <laughs> going to be gone soon. But I thought we could have had more of his sense of, of what was going through his mind before the battle. We'd get a little bit of it. I mean, he's been pretty much in despair, hasn't he? And yeah, we had... Um, himself together at times. We
1: had depressed Brutus right after the assassination of Caesar. We had um, naked walking into the river Brutus. <laughs> yes, <I'd>
0: forgotten. <laughs> no, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We had that. We had drunk trying to make out with a camel Brutus. <laughs>
0: Was that you're a exaggerating thing? there? Yeah, I am
1: always. And before he pulled himself together, mm. and if he didn't have Cassius with him during this show, he wouldn't have come through. Yeah. that arc, I don't think. Mm. So good to see them best buds until the end. <gasps> Cassius dies first in this narrative.
0: He does. The deaths are not correct. Yeah, they're not the way that they are presented to us. Um, so they. Both die in battle, don't they, in the show?
1: Yes. Cassius is taken back to Brutus very wounded, like mm. you know, stretch it in essentially.
0: Whereas they both die by suicide in the histories that we have. Mm. I'm not entirely sure why this was changed, if there's some kind of Have we seen suicides or we saw Cato. Maybe he's meant to be the real hardliner. We did see Cato himself and we will see suicide. more suicide. Mm. Uh, maybe it's they just thought there were too many. But for the Romans, it is the most honorable way to die because you're taking charge of it yourself. Mm. Dying in battle is honorable too. Mm. You know, you want the wounds in the front and not the back kind of thing. We do have accounts of their deaths. Dio has Cassius mistake a centurion sent by Brutus as the enemy, so he kills himself, which is one of those, oh, we didn't really need to do it type deaths, although he was going to lose this battle anyway, so I suppose he would have ended up dead. Mm. And then Brutus hiding the body to prevent the troops being demoralized and fighting on into the night. So a long time after Cassius is dead, according to Dio. And then there are desertions, and that means Brutus just kind of loses his last hope. And he asks somebody around him to kill him, but none of them will do it. And we get slightly different accounts. Appian has Cassius order Pindarus's shield bearer kill him. And he says, "Or oh, maybe Pindarus did it unordered. Mm. What he does confirm is that he died on his birthday. So I got that right. Yeah, And Plutarch, who wrote A Life of Brutus, says that he fell on his own sword. Or, there's always an <laughs> or, he had his close friend Strato kill him. Right. This is the story that Appian copies. All of them have, which I really missed in this series. I'm kidding. Brutus quotes some lines of Greek tragedy in Greek
1: at some mm. point. So mm. Which he didn't do in this. A little for sure. bit of
0: culture at the end, <laughs> something that's appropriate to a desperate situation.
1: So what we get instead is Brutus pulling off his armor, taking out his sword, and just walking towards
0: sea of men. Yeah, I'm
1: going to say Anthony's soldiers, but they're probably Octavians as well, or, or you know, some mixture of the two. You could maybe see that as a suicide.
0: Yeah, I mean, he takes his armor off. Yeah.
1: He knows he's gonna die. Yeah.
0: I don't know what to say about that in addition. I don't know. Do you see the point in that? Is it more dramatic?
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No
0: suicide? I, don't yeah. Know.
1: I think that it, it also very much echoed how they showed the death of Caesar.
0: Multiple stabbings.
1: Yeah. Collapsing against the first guy who puts a sword into you and then just having everyone around you stick it in as well.
0: Yeah, and of course Brutus was involved in that murder, so that would work thematically, except Caesar's not expecting it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no. So, yeah, I think it was a good battle scene. I really liked that they took the time to show so much of it as they did, Mm. even though, you know, I say it was only 12 minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's only so much of actual battle that we need on screen, I suppose. Mm. And so this is... I've said that the death of Cicero could be seen as the end of the Republic, but this is a more common point at which to see Mm. the end of the Republic because there's going to be more conflict and more war, but it really is between people who want power now. I mean, you could see Brutus and Cassius as wanting power, but they at least claim that they're standing for something. They're standing for the Republic. Mm. And by the way, you could see... Certainly, Julius Caesar and his heirs, Antony and Octavian, as claiming to stand for the people, but I don't get much sense of that in this series, do you? No, they're purely after their own power for themselves.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, it's it's just a power thing in this. Yeah. So Cassius's head is shipped back to Rome. People appreciate the little touches. I find I don't know who said that. Oh, I've, come I've, on! Down a quote that sounds like Mark Antony. It's of course it's actually, <laughs> okay.
0: Of course it is. <laughs> The body of Cassius has been found. We're still searching for Brutus. Excellent. Have the head packed in salt for transportation back to Rome. People appreciate the little touches, I find. He and atia I don't know how... One of the successes is still getting us to like them when they're both such appalling people.
1: I think the same extends to Pullo.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, He's lost me a little bit of late.
1: Actually, Verena's as well.
0: Oh, Verena's has lost me a lot.
1: Everyone's awful in this show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've noticed.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to think, are any of them likable? They're not.
0: I mean, I feel sorry for Servilia at times, which she's done appalling things. Mm. It's more feeling sorry for. feel sorry for both Verena, Elder and Younger.
1: Yeah, well, I mean. They're victims. Yeah, definitely. But having said that, yeah. Wow. Okay. Anyway, Mm. on that note. On that depressing note. mm, Brutus's body is not found. We see uh, a person who's ransacking the the battlefield, Mm. going after valuables, uh, cut off one of Brutus's fingers because it's got his family ring Mm. on it still. So uh, Brutus dies nameless on the battlefield. Didn't actually happen in real life. Shipped Mm. his head back to Rome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the end of Dio, he says the head was sent back to Rome, but there was a storm on the way, so the head ends up in the sea. Okay. Whereas Plutarch says that the body was treated with dignity by Mark Antony and the ashes were sent back to Sevilla, as opposed to what we see here. So did you like the episode? I like it more now we've talked about it than I did That's always the it. way. That's always
1: the way. I talk you around, it seems.
0: <laughs> After well, an
1: hour of analysis.
0: <laughs> oh, I quite like that episode. There was bits to like. There were interesting things to talk about. Yeah. I wanted to see Brutus presented in him. Uh, he's been so compelling and I didn't get that sense. I didn't see the point of changing the way Cicero died. And I have no problem with the series making changes. There's no way that they can go into every intricate detail of what we know about Romans, often contradictory anyway. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they need to do things for dramatic reasons or they can only shoot from this angle or whatever it is. You can't have all the characters. I don't mind about that, but sometimes I don't really see why the change has happened. But I get the feeling that you didn't mind that as much.
1: I see every change that they made be for expediency, Hmm. They're trying to cover everything effectively, and also just for cinematic reasons. I mean, the death of Cicero, I think, was much better than what they would have shown if they stuck closely to the history books. Mm-hmm. I think it was a much better ending for the character, and Pullo is great in it. I like it from that standpoint, I guess yeah. that
0: we've seen Cicero uh, talk to in offhand ways by characters as if he's unimportant, mm-hmm. and maybe having him die running away and in fear. That's not the end they wanted to give him. Yeah. So it is a more dignified end, that's for sure. Yeah. But it's also a more passive end, you it, could argue.
1: It is. It is. But he's also a man who who realizes what's going to happen to the Roman Republic. Mm. And I don't think that's a world he wants to live in anyway.
0: Yeah. You see, that's the hardline view of Cato. Mm. But I get the sense from Cicero that he never gave up never gave up fighting for it. He didn't see the writing on the wall and he really thought he could bring people round and be the mediator. And It doesn't matter how many wars there are, how many proscriptions there are, he still seems to have hope.
1: Yeah, he had his own way of of fighting. Uh, Brutus and Cassius were very much, you know, by the sword kind of resistance, but the one that Cicero put forward was very different. Hmm. Yeah, so... uh, so Well, they Cicero Mm.
0: and Brutus and Cassius... (laughs) Well, later, in fact.
1: (laughs) It's a a very much a a definite end to that chapter of history. Mm. You've been listening to Raising Standards, an occasional rewatch podcast in which we take a fond look at HBO's Rome with Rhiannon Evans and Matt Smith. If you like this podcast, please seek out our other podcasts, Emperors of Rome and When in Rome. They're there for all your historical Rome goodness. You can like Raising Standards on the Emperors of Rome Facebook page and you can follow both of us on Twitter. Rhiannon is at Dr. Rhiannon Evans. I am at NightlightGuy and the podcast is at RomePodcast. That's it today for Raising Standards, so until the next episode, I am Matt Smith, you've been fantastic and thanks for listening.